Welcome to The Next Track, a podcast about how people listen to music today. I'm Doug Adams. And I'm Kirk McElhern. Hello, and if you are listening to this episode before Christmas, when it comes out, happy holidays to you. Thanks. We appreciate the time because we know it's a busy time of year. You know, one of the fun things about doing this podcast has been the community that's sort of encamped at our website. Every episode has a comment section. And I was looking at it the other day. I don't go frequently, but I, I try to go regularly. And it's it's really great to see a bunch of nice, thoughtful, music-oriented people commenting in a friendly way in a nice community. We really appreciate it. If you'd like to participate in that, head over to any episode page at thenexttrack.com. This is episode 136 of the next track we're going to do some speculating about itunes we did that recently but a couple of things have happened recently which we wanted to talk about over the years people have written countless screeds about breaking up itunes that itunes is bloated they cry with their pikes and staffs and torches coming to the ramparts of the apple castle I have written my own screeds generally disagreeing that itunes is bloated bloat is in the eyes of the beholder in particular we're not going to get into this discussion. I think we did an episode about this. I'll look and if I can find it, put it in the show notes. It's not bloated if you don't see it when you're not using it. It's that simple. But Doug and I have been chatting about something that has transpired recently, and that made us think that maybe Apple is on the way to changing something in iTunes and not really breaking it up, but sort of. Doug, what did you spot recently? Well, let me. I have to start this story in the summer. Over the summer, Apple was releasing beta versions of the upcoming Mojave operating system. And at some point, they included in the operating system bundle a new version of iTunes. It was 12.9.0. And so developers had an early version of iTunes over the summer. When September rolled around and the official Mojave release came, it was bundled with iTunes 12.9, just like the beta. Really didn't think much of it wouldn't be unusual for Apple to include iTunes in an operating system bundle. Sure, why not? About a month later, Mojave is updated to 10.14.1. There's no iTunes update. Okay, fine. Apple usually releases iTunes updates about every two to three months, so it wasn't unusual not to see an iTunes update with the operating system update, because they very rarely do that, and there was no standalone update to iTunes either. Go to the beginning of December, and Apple releases Mojave 10.14.2, and it does bundle a new version of iTunes, 12.9.2. Now, apparently 12.9.1 was a Windows update, but there's no standalone installer. If you go to update to the latest version of iTunes on the Apple site, you'll see that it says if you want the latest version, you've got to update Mojave. If you're still on High Sierra or any previous version of the operating system, you cannot update to the latest version of iTunes. You're stuck at, I guess, 12.8. That's really surprising because Apple generally wants people to be up to date on iTunes, essentially because they make a lot of money through iTunes. It's not that they're doing you a favor to let you manage your music library. It's that you're spending money buying music, paying for Apple Music, buying and renting films and the rest. Right. It's quite surprising. So I have two questions, really two faces of the same question. Why is iTunes now being bundled with the operating system? And why is there no standalone installer? My first guess is that it might have something to do with security. Uh, maybe they want iTunes to stay aligned with whatever they do with the operating system. Well, it could be that the security issues are handled by other elements of the operating system. 
iTunes displays a lot of content using WebKit, which is the framework that Safari uses to display web pages, that Mail uses to display HTML emails. So all of that gets updated no matter what. And I wonder if, if iTunes is merely a shell for WebKit, at least for all of that stuff, uh, Apple Music, the iTunes store, then it's not really a security issue. But of course, there could be other security issues in iTunes regarding someone finds something about sending your Apple ID and password, for example. So we began to wonder, why is Apple doing this? If you can't download a, a separate installer and you have to wait for operating system updates to get a new version of iTunes, what does this suggest about the future of listening to media on your desktop? One thing to note about iTunes updates is that Apple used to release iTunes updates to be compatible with a specific device. So new iPhone comes out, there's an iTunes update. They're not doing that anymore. What they're doing is when you connect a device that you haven't used on your Mac, iTunes automatically goes to download whatever data, whatever files it needs to manage that device. And I saw that when I got my iPhone XS Max, a little dialogue comes up downloading iPhone information or something. So they no longer seem to need to release a full version update just to support a device, which when you think about it, it kind of makes sense rather than make people download a full updater, you know, provide those files separately. So that could be possible. That could be related to why they're doing it. Um, one of the other things that we were thinking is that maybe it isn't really necessary to update iTunes as frequently or not in sync with the operating system. Yes, major iTunes updates used to not occur when the operating system was updated. Right. And it almost seemed like they came later. It almost seemed like iTunes was usually playing catch up with some of the new features in the operating system. Yeah, it's pretty rare that new iTunes features were even touted as part of the operating system. iTunes was always on its own sort of strange schedule and never really got the attention that the operating system got. But when you think about iTunes today, there's nothing else to add. I've been saying this for years. The iTunes, the iPhone, they've got all the content they're ever going to have unless someone comes out with the holographic films or something, you know, that's a new, a new form of media. But all the forms of digital media are there. So what could they do? They could change the interface a bit. And, you know, we've seen in recent years they've made major changes to the interface, but it's been pretty stable now for a few years. They could add new services. We know that Apple's working on a video streaming service. Where would they roll that in? Is that going to be part of Apple Music subscription? Is that going to be a separate subscription? Or can you bundle the two? Would that come into the movies or TVs part of iTunes? The argument for that would be that, well, iTunes is where you consume media. That's the point where all the conduits come together. And so that would be not a bad idea. It would be simple to add, I would think, because they've already got the... the the back end for the music, so why not have the streaming service for video as well? Yeah, the only difference between the two is the type of files, the size of the files, but you can already stream movies to iTunes from the store. If you buy a movie, if you rent a movie from the store, you can start playing it right away and stream it. So what they're going to be doing there is is interface. They're not going to rebuild the way that's done because it already works. So they just need to what are they going to call it? Apple TV? That name's been used already. Apple Video? That doesn't sound very exciting. Apple Flix? Yeah, you like that, don't you? I think Apple Flix is cool. Sounds like a breakfast cereal, but could be a good idea. <laughs> well, they can't, they can't keep calling it Apple Music. I mean, they got away with iTunes and iTunes Store as a brand, and people would, fussy people would say, but it's more than just music. It's not just tunes. But 
iTunes is a brand name, but I don't think they can call a streaming service that includes video Apple Music. No, no, no. They have to come up with something else. So before the show, we were speculating. Many, many people, as I said, have written screeds about iTunes being bloated. And one of the things that they say is iTunes must be torn down, broken apart into little shards. And and these people come off like Luddite revolutionaries saying that, why do you need video playback features in an app for music? Well, it's not an app for music. It's an app for media. But what if Apple were to make a separate app just for Apple Music? So imagine that you still have iTunes. You can still use it to manage your library. You can still use it to play music, go to Apple Music. But what if there was a little player that was a standalone app? would look a lot like the iOS Music app. And you could launch that and you could play Apple Music through it. I would suggest they could even make it out of Marzipan, like the uh, new desktop stocks app or the voice memos app. They're not very impressive. The stock app, the home, stock news and home. Marzipan is, I guess it's a code name for a a system that Apple's using to port iOS apps to the Mac. Uh, The problem, of course, is Windows because Windows doesn't have that. And would we see a parody on Windows or not? I, I think they would have to, but they could build another windows app that would do the same thing well again if you're if they're going to do what you're suggesting that is come up with a simple marzipan app for music they wouldn't have to change itunes itunes and this marzipan app would be developed uh simultaneously in 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 parallel to some degree it's just that people who didn't want the classic itunes could still continue to use itunes and if you just wanted to stream to your desktop you could use this marzipan app you wouldn't have to have any music files at all my daughter, for instance, doesn't buy file downloads or anything like that. She streams exclusively. So I, it's easy to imagine that there are a number of people who would just prefer to have this little app, almost like a mini player, but just marzipan and exclusive to streaming. Right. Many people have advocated splitting iTunes into, into multiple apps. And we did see one spinoff, iBooks, that became the Books app, which kind of gives an idea of, of where this could go. The Books app uses your library and manages your library, but you can also get books from the cloud. But people kept saying, okay, well, you need one app for music. You need one app for movies and TVs. You need another app for podcasts. And then you got to manage all that stuff. Then you need an app for the store. Of course, that doesn't make sense, but it could make sense for Apple to just leave iTunes as it is and add apps for people who don't want to ever open iTunes. So let's imagine that you do have an existing music library and it's in iTunes And when you want to listen to music, you could use iTunes or you could use this Apple Music Marzipan app, which would access your library if it is an iCloud music library or if it's local on your machine. You would only need to go to iTunes if you want to change tags. You could make playlists in this app. You could play anything. You could set an up next queue and all that. And they could do the same for TV. So movies and videos, the same way they do on iOS on the Apple TV. And these two apps could handle most of what people do with iTunes because I remember someone at Apple told me the average iTunes library was around 3,000 tracks. This is five, six years ago. I'm guessing now, and I'm not counting tracks that people have put in from Apple Music, I'm guessing that the average Apple user's library of tracks that they own or that they've added is lower. In other words, fewer people are buying music and adding music to their library. So it almost makes sense for them to offer an alternative. Now, we don't really have anything like this on the Mac where you have two apps to do the same thing. Well, I was thinking of QuickTime Player 7 and QuickTime Pro, but uh, you can't do that anymore because QuickTime Player 7 is 32-bit. And even if you could run it on Mojave, 
you eventually won't be able to. So there's that. Yeah, but QuickTime is an example of something that is just a wrapper for a framework. In other words, the QuickTime framework is what's used all through the Mac for any kind of video playback, whether it be on the web, whether it be in email messages in iTunes or, or standalone video. Something like Preview is the PDF framework, and it's a wrapper and provides tools like annotating and, and, and page views and things like that. Text edit, same thing. Text edit uses the standard text framework that's accessible in all sorts of text editing apps. But having an app that duplicates functionality is not very Apple. However, what about the fact that you could have iPhotos and Aperture? Now, I never used Aperture, but you could actually use both. I don't remember if you could use both the same libraries in both. I don't think so. But you could do that. In fact, today you could still have iPhotos and Photos, I believe. Although maybe not in Mojave. I'm not sure if that still works. And there was a transition period when you could do both. I believe you can use GarageBand and Logic together. I don't think you can import Logic projects into GarageBand, but you can import GarageBand projects into Logic. Okay, but there's a logic to that because they're for different skill sets. Yes. GarageBand being for noobs and Logic for pros like you. Well, couldn't then iTunes Classic and iTunes Mar Marzipan be, you know, one is for the serious collector and the person who manages files and CDs, and the Marzipan is for, you know, I just want to hear music every so often while I'm working in Photoshop. Well, as I said before the show, I would use that sort of app to play Apple Music. I don't need iTunes all the time. It's another app that's there when I press command tab to switch from one app to the other. So it gets in the way. And and I don't generally quit apps when I'm not using it. Something like iTunes, which I do use regularly, I leave it running if I'm not using it. So Tell everybody how much RAM your idle iTunes uses. Well, earlier it was 1.13 gigabytes, and now it's 1.09. And, and I believe this has to do with the fact that and this is only a couple of days. Um, when did the, we're recording on Monday. Was it Thursday that the last Mojave update came out? So I restarted my computer at that point. But I have been doing some browsing and Apple Music listening since then. So, I mean, there is a lot of stuff that is getting loaded into memory as you go through that. So you can go back quickly and, and, and all that in, in Apple Music. But I'm thinking more of the simplicity of the interface. As much as I find the, the iOS app a bit confusing, the iOS music app, and they could make some progress on that, but I think that interface can be simpler for many people than the iTunes interface. People like us, we know how to use the iTunes interface. We know where things are. We know the keyboard shortcuts. But people who are coming to iTunes now from the iPhone, from the iPad, they don't know that. And and. It would be easier for them to have something familiar that looks like what is on the other devices. Of course, the paranoid user in me is always worried that they're going to drop iTunes. Because Apple Script. Well, and, and not just that. Well, not only that, it's large, it's large library management, and they never will get rid of iTunes entirely. Because the, there there is a user base who needs iTunes. Right. My music collection is mostly files, and while we may go to all streaming at some point in the future... Uh, I, I still need iTunes to manage my music. Yeah, but there are still professionals who need to manage tracks. It could be their music they've recorded. It could be sound effects. Yeah. DJs use iTunes. You can't just get rid of it. That wouldn't make any sense. Plus, the iTunes store is there. So if you have a Marzipan app, that's really just for Apple Music, right? Or music that you've put in iCloud or music on your Mac. But it's not the store for buying. The, the other interesting thing about that idea is that it would not be a store for buying. It would only be for streaming, and many people would no longer see the iTunes store. 
We don't know what deals the record labels have with Apple, but I would also assume that they would, the record labels would somewhat balk if there was an app, a music app available that didn't somehow offer some kind of commerce. Uh, unless, you know, unless the, the record labels are interested in, in encouraging streaming. But, I, you know, the store, if they can make a dime from anybody, they'll probably insist that it, it remain. So you can, from iTunes, view an Apple Music track in the iTunes store. You hover over track, click the more button, which is where the duration of the track is, and you click that and you can go to the iTunes store. However, you can't currently do that on iOS. So imagine that they ported the iOS music app to the Mac. They would have to add that if they want people to buy it. It is interesting that the music app in iOS doesn't allow people to go to the store. We complained in the past that you couldn't get from the store back to Apple Music, and they changed that. But it's true that they're they're straddling a, a lot of things here. They're already treating the music app on iOS as if it's for streaming or your personal library only. And they're kind of cutting out the idea of a store. Hmm. That's just, that's peculiar. You've got to watch that because yeah. that's their bread and butter. Yeah. So if we think of the TV app, the TV app on iOS and on the Apple TV is similar in the sense that it shows what's in your library you can also look what's in a local library. So I have home sharing on and I see my iMac right now. Chosen recently purchased. It says watch in HDR. And then it's got sections like sports, library, store, and watch now. So the store is built into the TV app, whereas it's not built into the music. This is all very inconsistent, isn't it? Uh, of course, Music and videos are different. When you when you want to listen to an album, you want to listen to it over and over. When you want to buy, when you want to watch a movie, you buy it or you rent it generally once. Particularly if it's a TV series, you're not going to rent it more than once. But the TV app is pretty much exactly the same between iOS and the Apple TV. So where does that leave us for the future of iTunes? You know, people have been clamoring for its dismemberment. People have claimed that it's bloated. People have... As we talked in a recent episode, some people are claiming that iTunes is going to stop selling music downloads, and we won't see that anytime soon. But I, I kind of like this idea, and, and I think we talked about this years ago, about an iTunes Lite, like, a, like a, a version for everyone and then a version for experts. The way that there are some apps that actually do that, is this the way we want it to go? W would the average user miss iTunes if all they do is use Apple Music? They definitely wouldn't, and it would, it's an app that they would not need to open and if they don't back up their iOS device to it, by the way, you should back up your iOS device to iTunes. It's safer than iCloud and quicker. And if they don't manage a music library or a video library, then people, all they do is they go there to play music with Apple Music, and they are facing this complicated structure with the sidebar, with the tabs, and, and, and it can be confusing. Oh, I think it's it might be the sort of thing that would be perfect for casual users. I mean, that's what they want to do. They want to get casual users streaming. And right now, if you're averse to using iTunes because it's bloated or because you don't know how it works or because, you know, your husband's music is in it and your kid's music is in it or your ex-boyfriend's music is in it and you don't want to mess with it, you may be less inclined to open up, a, to start a subscription to Apple Music. But if they had a simple interface with which you could subscribe and listen to the, the music that you do, like you do on iOS, 
I, I think that would be okay, providing they keep iTunes Classic, because I need a file management tool. I need to manage my audio files. Yeah. I, I don't have o- just old stuff. I get new stuff, too. Yeah, I think we're, we've got a long way to go before that disappears. I, I'm more intrigued about the whole TV video thing, because uh, as we said earlier, what are they going to call it? Apple Music, Apple Flicks, something. It has to have a name. It can't be Apple TV. That name exists. Something is going to have to happen on the Mac when the video service comes out. Either they roll it into iTunes with a new tab, because if they put it in movies and TV, isn't that a little bit confusing? Well, think of what they've done with Apple Music. You have library, and then you have For You. So you've essentially got your local stuff, and then you've got streaming stuff. So they'd have to do something along those lines. So maybe under movies and TV, they would have a For You section. Yeah, they could do that. I mean, that's something that we're sort of familiar with. I use the TV app, but on iPad, and I like it. Um, I don't use it on the iPhone. It's too small, but I, I, I use it f- quite regularly on the iPad. It's got a lot of real estate, and, and it feels good. So Yeah. Well, this is all perplexing. I'm, I'm all in favor of making things simple for everyone, but the idea of splitting iTunes into little pieces and forcing people to use multiple apps when they do need to use multiple apps has never made sense. But this new update strategy could be leading towards something like this in the very near future. I don't know if there's a date for Apple's video streaming service, but, you know, we keep reading in the press about they've signed this actor or this director to make this series. And so it's not a, it's not a rumor. It was a rumor years ago. And, and you know, there, there's a big lead time to make movies and TV shows. But it seems like it's been at least a year. So I'm thinking we're going to see something early next year. Yeah, well, I always hear... 2019 is when you're going to see this. I wonder if they would make their shows available on other services. You know they're not going to do that. Yeah, I suppose I do. The, the whole point, no, the whole point of this is to get people to buy Apple devices. They're going to really put a spotlight on the Apple TV. The Mac and iOS, iOS won't be secondary. The Mac will be secondary, but then there's still people who watch TV on a Mac. I'm thinking the iPad is more, Apple TV and iPad are the two main focuses there, but there are people who have bought Macs to use as TVs. Sure. I watch television on my Mac all the time. Local, over-the-air broadcasts, videos, things like that. Not all the time. I mean, my leisure time, I'm usually... But often, yeah. At least once a day. Well, we have no answers. We just have speculation. And this seems like something interesting to discuss. And if you don't use iTunes and you're listening to the show, well, you probably haven't listened this far in the episode anyway. So you haven't been bored. (laughs) All right, let's get to our next tracks. Kirk, what have you got this week? My next track this week is a video. I have to say, you have to see this. You have to see this. I don't care if you're not a fan. You simply have to watch this. Springsteen on Broadway on Netflix. You certainly know Springsteen's music. Some of his songs. Everyone knows Born to Run. Who can't know Born to Run? Born in the USA. All these songs about being born. But there is something about this that is... So here's what he did. He went to a small theater in New York and he did like six months of shows, five shows a week. It's the Walter Kerr Theater. It's about 900 seats, so relatively intimate. And he goes up on stage with an acoustic guitar and a piano and a microphone. He's all alone, except his wife, Patty Scalfa, comes on for two songs, but he's all alone for two and a half hours on stage. It's not two and a half hours of music. It's probably only about half of that is music. There's only 15 songs in the two and a half hours, what makes the show is the stories he's telling before, after, and sometimes even during the songs. He's up there telling the story of his life from when he was young to when he was touring. 
And it is just fascinating. It made me think of the great radio monologists like Garrison Keillor and Gene Shepard. For those who remember Gene Shepard, who are old enough to remember, I watched this yesterday when it came out. We're recording this on the 17th. It came out on the 16th on Netflix. And I watched it all the way through. And what really impressed me was that this was theater. It was not a concert. Now, I, I go to the theater a lot, as everyone knows, and I see live theater streamed to cinemas often, which is relatively common in this country. The way he was doing this, it was theatrical. He had certainly either memorized some of the text or was using a prompter because there were bits that were too good to be just off the cuff. And then there were others where you could tell he was ad-libbing. But this guy should be an actor. I mean, I would see him as Willie Loman in Death of a Salesman. I really think he should be an actor. One thing worth noting is the weighting of the choice of tracks. There's one track from his first album, Greetings from Asbury Park, New Jersey, which is a perfectly fitting track growing up. There's three tracks from Born to Run. There's three from Born in the USA, Darkness on the Edge of Town. There's one, The Rising. There's one. So these, are, these are all pretty much early albums. Nebraska, Ghost of Tom Joad. There's a, a, a waiting toward his early career. And he doesn't even talk too much about his later career. He essentially talks about his career traveling, touring, through 1984, and, and, and that's, you know, more than 30 years ago. But he should be an actor. But you got to watch this. You really do. Look at it as theater. Don't look at it as a concert, but don't miss it. Doug, I know you haven't seen it yet, so maybe you've got something else this week for your next track. I do have something else, but I'm very much looking forward to seeing that. Uh, I'm not a jazz guy. Uh, I'm not a jazz aficionado. There's some jazz I do like, but I'm kind of on the outskirts of, of the jazz world. But uh, an interesting song came up on my Apple Music stream the other day was Les McCann and Eddie Harris doing Compared to What, which was popular in the early 70s. It's from a live album that they did, and uh, it still clicks now. But anyway, I knew who Les McCann was. He's the piano player, but I didn't know who Eddie Harris was. So I said, well, I'm just going to look up Eddie Harris. And the first album that came up on Apple Music was something called The Electrifying Eddie Harris. And I said, well, that sounds exciting. I'll listen to that. The reason it's called the electrifying Eddie Harris is because he's playing an electric saxophone or essentially a saxophone with pickups that enabled him to get different kinds of sounds out of the saxophone. And the one he used most frequently, an octave generator, so that the note he was playing would be doubled an octave below what he's playing. And he didn't overuse it. Now, let me just tell you this as a guy who's played with lots of musical sound effects. I mean, you know, pedals and things like that. The tendency is to overdo it, and he doesn't overdo it. And one of the great things on this album is not only the octave sound that he uses very subtly, but he also, at some points, creates the sensation that there are two sax players by really quick button pushing, or however he switches the sounds out. Just absolutely amazing, and, and a great use of electronic effects. As I said, not overdone, but using it to enhance what he wanted to create. I, I just really was blown away by it, and I really could not get enough of it. I've listened to it a couple of times on, and it's just fabulous to listen to. The Electrifying Eddie Harris is my next track. This has been The Next Track, a podcast about how people listen to music today. You can find show notes and links to some of the things we talked about in this and other episodes at thenexttrack.com. There's also a contact form there you can use to send us comments. If you like the show, we hope you'll subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And please think about giving us a review or rating. We'd appreciate that. I'm Doug Adams, and for Kirk McElhern, thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next time. <laughs>